This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. Of course, I got to say a huge thank you and a shout out to Smoke Monster for doing a great job last week while I was away. So giant thank you to him. And let's jump into the news. First up, the games list was just revealed for the TurboGrafx and PC Engine mini console that will be released next year. Uh, It looks like regardless of what version of the console you get, they'll all have the same amount of games, but some will be in in English and others will be in Japanese, which makes sense because some of the Japanese editions never really had an English translation or anything like that. Uh, But the games list looks to be great. It looks to be pretty fair for PC Engine lovers. So I guess at this point, it's really all down to the quality of the emulation. Is this going to be something neat that people buy just to sit on their shelves because it's a mini console, or is it something that you could actually use and enjoy but we won't be able to tell until next may i believe uh and i guess if there's any other news i'll keep everybody posted but the full games list is listed in the post when i was out on the west coast i was able to meet up with smoke monster and do an in-person interview and stuff like this i like to call a conversation with because usually at least mostly in the past when i've titled things in interview it's somebody that i'm introducing to the channel for the first time or more of a formal sit down And I really think there's a lot of times that I just would like to have conversations with fellow retro gamers that other people might want to listen to. And I think this is the perfect example. Smoke Monster is awesome as always. It was very chill to hang out with and talk to. Um, And, you know, while this is much more of a podcast, probably listen listen audio only style, uh, it's something I think a lot of people might enjoy. Um, They're always going to be up there on the video services for people who would just prefer to do it that way. I know depending on people's setups, it's easier to just leave a YouTube video running in the back and try to mess with a podcast app or something. But that's, once again, not to repeat myself for the millionth time, but that's why I like to put these things that aren't, aren't required to have video on every platform possible. That way people could just listen for free and not worry about it. So uh, definitely give it a listen. Uh, always fun to talk to Smoke Monster, and I'm going to have a whole bunch more a conversation with coming up soon, as well as, of course, some more formal interviews and everything. But... Either way, if it's up to me, I would do everyone in person because the flow of everything is just so much better. Uh, you know, just the Skype delay alone is enough to, to really kill some of these things. So just being in person is such a great help. So as much as I can, maybe as I'm traveling around doing these different expos and stuff, I could meet up with people that are sort of close to the area and just start doing more in-person interviews because I just think it flows way better. But either way, check it out. Cork has just announced two add-ons for its music creation software for the Switch. Uh, First is an add-on based on Sega Genesis sounds from official Genesis games, and the other is based on, I believe, Darius and the Ninja Warriors, which is a collaboration with Taito. So I was kind of confused about this when I first started reading about it, and I actually had to read a few different articles to really grasp what this is. First, you need to buy the Korg Gadget software for the Nintendo Switch, which is about $50, I believe. 
And that's just basically something that allows you to use the Nintendo Switch to create music. And then each of these add-ons, the Sega and the Taito one, are another $10. And they're software additions. So you load these up and then, you know, the little Genesis appears on your Switch and you could tap just like you could any drum machine or something like that. So I kind of have mixed feelings on this in which spending $70 on this software that goes through your Switch... You know, it really depends. If you're already making music with the Korg software, then it's probably awesome, because I love the thought of having original, uh, ar like, arcade or console sounds to be used to create new music. But I do kind of wish this was a standalone device. And even though I'm much more of just a basic musician, I just love playing guitar, um, I think I would have to buy that thing and incorporate it into my music somehow if I had, like, a big Sega Genesis. Um, but unfortunately, it is software only. So I guess it really depends on how you feel about that. Um, if you're at all interested in making music um, using game sounds, it's at least worth reading up on it and seeing if it's worth it to you. And I guess if anybody has any experience with the Korg gadget software, maybe post in the comments and let us know how you feel. Um, I'm just a little bit leery to do things when, when you spend time learning Reaper or Pro Tools or a lot of the more profession professional softwares that could be just immediately exported into a Pro session. Um, I'm kind of always leery about using mid-grade stuff. Uh, so is it mid-grade? Can you can you take music that you've made in Chord Gadget and import it into a Pro Tools session or something? Anybody that has any insight on that, please post. And if not, maybe one of these days I could finally get around to testing this, as well as that other DAO plugin that allows you to make uh, churn MIDI into Genesis and Master System sounds. Um, music and, and game hardware are my two favorite things, so <laughs> I guess in beer too. But uh, So obviously if I ever have time, I'd really love to do a video about all this stuff together. But... For now, check it out if you're interested, and please let me know if you've had experience with it. Early adopters of the just-released Raspberry Pi 4 are going to run into some issues with USB. The first is a hardware issue with the USB-C charge port. The way it was implemented incorrectly identifies the Raspberry Pi 4 as an audio device, meaning the only way to get it to actually charge is either by using the official Raspberry Pi 4 charger or using a non-e-marked charger, which I'm not really sure what that means, but it seems pretty straightforward. I think I would just buy the official charger, and it's only $10, but it is a bit disappointing for people that already had a solution that they were going to use with this, and now they have to buy something else. I'm sure it was also pretty frustrating for people that bought this and tried using a different charger and couldn't get it to power on and didn't know why. Uh, but I guess the team said that they're going to uh, address that in a new hardware update. I'm not sure when that's happening. So if you've already bought it or if you're buying it right now, just expect to use the official charger. And the other USB issue is a new firmware update that allows the USB controller to run more efficiently. And by doing so, the tests that PC Gamer ran showed that the original firmware on the Pi 4 with a heatsink performed uh, pretty much identically to the newer firmware on a Pi 4 with no heatsink at all, which means that overall you get better performance and lower temperature just by using a firmware update, which everybody kind of wins. Unfortunately, though, it's not as easy as just plugging this into a computer, loading up a program, and then hitting update firmware. I believe the general procedure for this, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure you're supposed to load the, Rasp the Raspbian OS onto an SD card, then install update software that I believe is pronounced Hexa, I'm not really sure, uh, and then you have to update by running a script and then rebooting. Um, and of course you have to manually type the script into terminal, because I believe it's a rule that Linux experts aren't allowed to create GUIs to allow less knowledgeable people to join the platform.
TR Fight Stick has just opened up pre-orders on an all-metal Neo Geo MVS shell designed for the MV1C boards. So anybody that's seen an MV1C has either seen it just board only or seen it with the plastic that it comes with, which if you remember correctly was designed to be mounted inside of some kind of stand-up cabinet. So it's kind of ugly and not really meant to be displayed, whereas this all-metal shell looks really nice and there's still the hole for the JAMA adapter to fit through, so you could use this in or out of a cab, I believe. Um, they're $125, and I believe there's going to be uh, several colors available. So if you're the type of person that uses your MV1C both in and outside of your cabinet, uh, this might actually be a great choice for you. And, you know, most importantly is that we all have choices now. Um, you know, it, stuff like this is really cool, and I think I know a lot of people that would buy it just because it'll make storing and carrying their MV1C easier. GameTech has just opened pre-orders on fully assembled Game Boy Advance consoleizer kits. So these are kits that already have the Game Boy Advance installed, everything's put together, the consoleizer's in there, um, and they come in both, uh, both types of plastic, the type that uses the Game Boy Advance itself, which is good if you want to use that as the original controller, uh, or it just comes in the fully consoleized version where you have to use a SNES controller. Um, they're priced at 350 which is a bit expensive, but if you take everything into consideration, um, you know, if you don't have time to work on this, you don't trust your soldering skills, you just want to buy something that's done, uh, this might just be a great option for you. Um, you know, stuff like this, I, I always recommend when people do mods for the first time or if they aren't comfortable with it, to just kind of think about what else could go wrong. Is this a perfectly working Game Boy Advance? You know, what if something goes wrong in, during your installation? Will you know how to fix it? So I think the majority of modders would rather just do this themselves, which is totally cool. Um, but this is a great option for the people that just want to go out and buy it. Unfortunately, some major publications have picked it up and really just focused on the price of the pre-built kit and not, not really even focused on the fact that you can just buy this yourself and install it. But, you know, it's mainstream. They're not going to pay more attention than two seconds of reading. Uh, so, either way, if you're interested in how to do the installation, um, Voltar's got a great installation video on it. GameTech has a bunch as well. Um, and, of course, I have my full overview on the Game Boy Advance consoleizer, should you want more info. Uh, I believe My Life in Gaming is coming out with a video for this soon as well, which I'm excited to watch, even though I already know everything about this thing. I, I'm always interested in their perspective on it. And I think somebody compared this to a, a Retron 5 as well, if you were interested in comparing apples to oranges, I guess. Darksoft just released a new menu and firmware update for his multi-AES Neo Geo ROM cart, and mostly it seems like a bunch of quality of life updates and, uh, and bug fixes and things like that. When I tested this, it definitely loaded the games faster. Um, I don't think Darksoft mentioned that in his list of features, but while the games only load a few seconds faster, because of the, the new way the, the menu loads and it's a little bit snappier, it might feel like overall it loads faster. Uh, especially if you use it in one game at a time mode, like I do and like I know Scott does, where instead of loading up all the slots, you just load one game at a time as you need to use it. And overall, it just feels a little bit snappier. So it's one of those things where if you own the multi-AES, just put on the new firmware, no doubt. Um, as far as the menu goes, 
I'm not sure what was changed there other than there's definitely support now for the monitor test tool, which is one of those things that it's free. So if you own one of these ROM carts, you should just put it on. Um, I think the most use that I have for it is the checkerboard pattern for calibrating my capture card whenever I do direct captures. But anybody that's ever used the 240p test suite knows that any kind of monitor test tool is always going to be a great thing to use in your collection. So anybody that owns one of these, uh, definitely just update it. It's free. So why not anyway? Uh, and if you're interested in a little bit more info and haven't caught the video I did comparing the different solutions, definitely check that out as well because each of these ROM carts kind of has a better fit for different solutions. So while one might be perfect for you, it might not be perfect for somebody else and vice versa. So definitely check that out to see which one fits your needs best. And once again, if you have the Darksoft cart, just load that right up. And speaking of Neo Geos, there's a new super gun available for MV1B and MV1C motherboards, which I believe are because they're both JAMA. Um, the kits are available only as do-it-yourself. None are pre-assembled, but they're really cheap. Um, the main kit is $37, and you have to just assemble all the parts that it comes with. If you already have a ton of parts laying around, you could also either get just the PCB or just the PCB with a JAMA connector for $7 or $12, which is pretty cool. And I like the thought of this, and I'll kind of give the overview and my, my basic impressions. I haven't tested it yet, but just looking at it, you could tell it takes the high voltage video output of an MVS and attenuates it down to normal video levels. Plus has three different potentiometers there for people that want to dial in the, the perfect 0.7 volts to get that best signal you can. Perfect use for the monitor test tool, by the way. Um, and it has an on-off switch, a Neo Geo style DIN connector, so the same that you'd find on an AES. Um, and could be powered either by a standard Molex connector or just a barrel connector if you have the 5 volt mod done to it. Uh, so that barrel connector is handy because you could just get an external brick and be done with it. I don't generally like doing power mods just because I, I'm just very leery of messing with power. So if I were to use this particular one, I would probably use a Molex connector and like a good quality PC power supply or something. Uh, you could technically run these without 12 volts, but sound won't work. So I think there might even be a sound mod you might be able to do uh, to allow you to use a barrel connector as well. But either way, there's some pretty cool choices in this. Uh, and it looks like a great cheap solution for experts. And I would strongly suggest that with this and any super gun, uh, you really check every board that you use on a scope. And while a few years ago that might have seen a little bit crazy and you know unfathomable, but you can get that cheap Oan scope for a hundred bucks now. Uh, I did the video detailing how to use it, and all you got to do is just make sure that the RGB and sync lines, as well as the audio, are all within a certain voltage. Otherwise, you could really destroy your equipment. I'm actually going to be doing a video sometime later this year about super gun safety that goes into detail about this. But the short, short version is that most super guns have some serious potential for killing your equipment. And price means nothing. I've seen plenty of $600 super guns, which I will be showing in detail in this video, uh, that essentially is just basic stuff wired together with, with no real protection on it. And if you don't test it, you can and will blow out your OSSC, your GSCART switch, possibly your RGB monitor. 
So just in general, I'm not harping on this particular one. If you're using a super gun that's, a, that's not a brand new Hass or Sentinel, because remember, people could change those around and sell you those used with different settings on them. So I guess, essentially, every single super gun you buy, whenever you use it with a new board, I would really just probe those lines and make sure that the voltage isn't too high. Um, it seems like a pain in the ass, but look, when you're dealing with arcade equipment, it's always going to be harder than consoles. And you might as well drop a hundred bucks and a little, you know, maybe a few hours of your time learning how to use this stuff. Because at the end of the day, you'll end up knowledgeable, more confident in this stuff, and you won't ruin the equipment that you're using. Because uh, even those dangerous super guns that I talk about can be set properly. You just need to know how to do it. So, uh, you know, if you're into maybe assembling your own cheap super gun for the Neo Geo, check this one out. And for all super guns, please be careful with them because I've seen. I mean, it's got to be over 100 now of uh, devices that I, I've seen over the years get blown out by these things. So please don't end up being that person. And the last of this week's Neo Geo news, the Behar brothers have just announced a pre-assembled MVS kit. And while there's no pricing and availability yet, it's going to be available in two forms. One, a completed kit that all you have to do is buy it and start playing that includes a refurbished MV1C motherboard and another version of it where you have to supply your own motherboard and do that integration yourself. It's going to come with a variation of the TR Fight Sticks metal enclosure, but one that includes the controller ports in front and breaks out the I.O. into the back, which is something I like to see on MVS consolizations, which a lot don't, which is kind of strange to me. Um, as far as outputs go, this is utilizing that FPGA-based board that I talked about a while back that the Behar brothers designed which get 480p VGA out, as well as a SCART out. So that could be used for a bunch of different things. Maybe you game on a VGA monitor and uh, stream direct RGB or vice versa, or you need dual outputs or whatever. There's a, a ton of different reasons why you might want that. So uh, overall, it looks pretty cool. Um, I hope to find pricing on it first and maybe even be able to borrow one just to try out. But there are a ton of different MVS-related things coming out this year. And I'm both a little frustrated by it, and I kind of love it. Um, I mean, most importantly, I love it because there are so many overly priced, not that great MVS solutions that have been sold for years. And some are even mistakenly coveted as great until you pop them open or you put it on a scope and you realize maybe it has a good case, but the only other good thing about it is the original motherboard. And that's the opposite this year. I'm seeing a lot of really cool stuff designed for either uh, low price but good quality or fully featured everything you could get out of this uh, but it's, it is going to get confusing both as somebody who might be watching this wondering which to get and as somebody trying to recommend the best so at the moment the only advice i can give you is just take a look at any of the cheaper solutions that are available today uh, and keep in mind that there's still a lot more coming this year and then decide for yourself what fits your needs best um, if you, for example, really need a VGA outputting MVS, this seems like the best solution for you without a doubt. Uh, if you're looking for the cheapest thing possible, the board I just talked about might be the, uh, the best way for you to consoleize your MVS. And there's going to be a ton more options coming out soon. So, uh, you know, for everybody making these things, keep doing them. But just remember that now there's a lot of people out there focusing on safety and quality. So uh, no more overpriced $600 things with the uh, rat's nest of wires and a fancy case that you could overcharge for. Now you kind of got to bring your A-game when you're talking about MVS stuff, and I love that. 
This one is more of a call for help and less of a news post, but there's a team of people out there looking to create some kind of USB to Genesis converter, specifically for the purpose of using a newer optical mouse on a Genesis. The original Sega mouse is getting expensive. I think it's hovering around $50 on eBay now. And of course, much like all of the mice back in the early 90s, they're all ball-based and they get dirty, they wear out very easily. So it would be nice to have something like, um, you know, a typical optical mouse that you'd find these days. So the team's not sure if they're looking to convert a mouse itself or to make a generic adapter for it or, or really how they're what the best way is to approach it. I think they just want more people to look it over and see. And they also want to include things like the scroll wheel on newer mice, so it's not just useless. It can actually be used in any of the games that are compatible with it. Um, you know, Hyperkin seemed to have nailed it with their Super Nintendo optical mouse, one of the few things that they seem to really get right. Uh, and no one seemed to have done that for the Sega mouse. So if anybody has the ability to work on something like this or already has some info, maybe just check out the link to the forum and see if you could add anything to it. Because I think it would be very cool if we had anything from an adapter to a do-it-yourself conversion kit for existing mice uh, to be able to get a cool different mouse experience out of the Genesis. Pretty much every publication on the planet has covered all of the Nintendo Switch news, so I figured it would be more efficient for me to just give the short, short version in case anybody didn't hear the whole story. Uh, first, Nintendo announced a $200 Switch Lite, which is only a handheld, and it can't be connected to a TV via HDMI. So uh, this is one of the few times that I agree with all of the cheesy internet posters and say that it's weird that a Switch won't switch. Kind of seems to go exactly against what Nintendo was doing with this. Whatever, I don't really know. But um, I personally prefer to play all of my Switch games on the big screen, so this one's definitely not for me, unless they add some kind of cool feature. I'll come back to my speculation later. Um, second, the standard Nintendo Switch seems to be getting a basic spec bump, but it looks to be the result of components going end of life. Um, which makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of uh, products in the electronics world where you just end up having to upgrade them because it's way cheaper to just use whatever the mainstream chips are. And there's not really any kind of proof of this will be a spec increase or an actual real-life performance increase. Uh, but I guess new switches with those new guts are going to be coming out sometime this year. So I guess we'll find out when those are released. No official word on any Switch Pro um, and the last announcement was that 8BitDo announced a Switch controller that you could program the buttons on. Kind of looks like a cross between a PlayStation controller and a SNES controller, uh, but you could program the buttons, and which is kind of cool for people. Uh, whether it's fighting games or racing games or whatever else, now you actually have a way to program your own buttons and change out the layout if you choose to. Um, that's going to be $50 and ships on August 7th. Uh, and the pre-order links to those exact ones are right in the post for anybody interested. Uh, and just a very, very quick, uh, you know, wishful thinking speculation. I would love to see something like a Switch Pro that's console only. Because I know a lot, the last time I said that, a lot of people said things like, well, that's stupid. The whole point of a Switch is that you use it for both. <laughs> but since we've already crossed that bridge, I would love to see something like a Switch Pro that's 4K that's you know uh, TV only, and have something like an interface with the Switch Lite. So maybe it's a wireless protocol, whatever else. 
But that might allow you to do things like now play DS and 3DS games on the big screen because the Switch Lite would be the controller and the Switch Pro, if you will, the 4K Switch, would be the console side of things. Um, you know, maybe that would also allow Wii U games to be better ported over or something like that. I don't know. That's just wishful thinking. I'm going to give that like a 1% chance of actually happening. But just seeing the path they're going down, they could treat this like the DS and just be the smaller light, the basic middle ground version, and then maybe a bigger version with a faster processor they call the Switch 2 or the Switch Pro. But I'd, I would like to think that Nintendo would think out of the box in something like this. Especially because I believe replacement Wii U controllers were over $100. So the thought of having a $200 Switch Lite, a $300 Switch Pro, then being able to use both, you know, both together and separately isn't too far of a stretch for me. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what they're going to do with it and what happens. But that was just my wishful thinking stuck in at the end. Uh, check out the post for direct links to all the official stuff if you're interested. I recently saw a video that showcased a NES emulator for VR headsets. So essentially you load your NES ROM in it and it displays it in a very odd 3D or 2.5D type of uh, aspect. And it looked really intriguing. So I was hoping to both tell people about this as well as ask if anybody's tried it and what I could expect as a retro gamer. Uh, I believe the video I watched was with somebody that was more of a modern gamer, so while it was a cool video and it's, it's linked in the post, um, you know, hearing it from somebody that's a predominant retro gamer might give me a better perspective on these things. I'd love to try it out. Um, I don't have any VR headset of my own, and uh, I'm still hesitant on whether to invest in that yet. Uh, I just went to a place in New York City yesterday, in fact, called Jump Into the Light, and they're basically just like a VR arcade. Great staff, great equipment, everything was cool. They walk you through everything so you don't have to be confused. Um, but I had mixed feelings about the VR itself. So there was stuff like Walk the Plank, which was very cool, but you can't see your feet. So that, that was disorienting. I like heights in real life, so like I would totally hang off the side of a building anyway. But doing that and looking down in VR and not seeing where your feet are, that was pretty disorienting. Um, there was one where you kind of like fly around and that was pretty neat too. But the one just basic racing game, just a straightforward, you put on a helmet and you're in a F1 car, got me really dizzy, even just going in a straight line. So I'm not sure if it's super low frame rates that mess with me or what the deal is, but uh, I'm not sure if VR is quite for me yet, but I would like to keep trying it. And, and I really truly believe that it's a platform that it's in its infancy and it's gonna grow to be something way better in the future. Uh, but if anybody has any suggestions on that, I saw that there's other places to try in New York. I certainly don't have any complaints about jumping to the light, but who knows? Maybe there's different equipment at different places. So if you have any suggestions, please let me know. And also, a funny aside, they had some of the arcade one-up cabinets at this place. Uh, and it was my first time getting in front of one personally and actually playing Street Fighter. And I had such mixed feelings because it kind of played like shit and it kind of looked like shit. <laughs> Like, when it was standing still, it looked really sharp and really great, and the aspect ratio seemed okay. But any kind of movement at all, there was, like, flickering in the background that that I think would be distracting to anybody. Maybe it's just because I see it and I know it's not in the original, so it's really distracting me from the game. But it seems like the type of flicker that any gamer that's never played Street Fighter before might sit down and kind of go, you know, all oh, the flickering's bothering me. 
I don't know, but that was kind of a funny bonus was that I got to check that out as well, and I, I'm definitely glad I didn't invest any of those. Um, I do see people's points about if you get them on sale, they are excellent toys, fun for kids, but I could never see myself actually sitting on one of these things and, and really playing a hardcore match on it, so... Oh well, but anyway, uh, check out 3D Send VR if you have any kind of 3D uh, 3D setup at your house, 3D VR setup. Uh, and you know, if you're a retro gamer and have this, please let me know your perspective and let me know what you think. Well, that's it for this week. Once again, a huge thank you to Smoke Monster for stepping up and being able to fill in on the podcast last week while I was working on a different project. And I really enjoyed that, and I hope to get more guest hosts to this as well in the future both because I really like hearing other people's opinions. I mean, it's still the same news and it's still everything retro gaming related all in one place, but it is cool to hear different people's opinions on different topics. And especially because each of the writers are really experts at their own little thing. So it's great to hear what people have to say about that. So maybe I'll talk to more of the writers and see if we can have more guest hosts fill in. Um, and, you know, on a selfish note, this would also allow me to to spend a little bit more time on some of the other retro RGB related projects. That way I don't have to go do a project and then come back and spend the next four days working like crazy to catch up with all the work I missed. But anyway, uh, you know, thanks to the whole team. And of course, and most importantly, thank you to all of you that watch, listen, and support. Because uh, without all of you, none of this could happen. So thank you very much, and I'll see you next week.